0: All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with goodranchers.com. That's right. If you go on to GoodRanchers and you use promo code NIC and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breasts, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free to get that deal, and let's get on with the show. If you were on the political right, chances are you had about enough of wokeism the moment it began. What I find interesting is that more and more people in the political middle, and even some on the center left, appear to be having enough of the religion of wokeism. We're gonna be talking about that and more on this episode of Making the Argument, where we make the arguments to defend a free society. Okay, so again, yeah, if you're if you're a political conservative, chances are you found what is commonly been referred to as wokeism to be a little bit intellectually dishonest and consistent and quite frankly, just irritating from almost the moment it came up. And that's not because, you know, and contrary to the beliefs on the left, this is not because we're not willing to discuss hard history or we're not willing to discuss controversial issues. It's more about this idea that at the moment you didn't agree with the leftists on something, which by the way, the political left didn't even advocate for 10 years ago, you know, things having to do with transgenderism or things having to do with uh, you know men competing in women's sports, etc. If you had issues with this, or if you had concerns about this, then you're now considered a bigot. Right? You're just, or you're, amazingly enough, you're ignoring the science, right, because the science has now changed to suggest that when a man says that they're a woman, we're supposed to just believe this because it's a deeply held psychological belief, which is critical to their core identity, right? So what I find fascinating about this is that the left kind of just went along with this almost immediately. And part of that was because I I think that there's a a big push within political leftism, which is not necessarily a bad thing, to push for greater civil rights, right? And their version of civil rights is usually government recognition, which eventually turns into either government celebration or government correction for past injustices, et cetera. And so whenever they had a, a group of people that they felt were marginalized, including them within that like broader civil rights movement just simply makes sense to them. Now, if you're on the political right, interestingly enough, we also feel that we believe in civil rights, but the way that we look at civil rights generally comes from the avenue of saying the government's job is to provide equality before the law, but other than that, to pretty much leave you free to live your life the way you want. Now, there are some people within the conservative movement that also agree, interestingly enough, with kind of like this left-wing approach to government essentially advocating for certain ideas or principles or standards, et cetera. So again, the conservative movement I would say the conservative of the United States is kind of categorized by two general categories. There's one that does believe in more of a big government conservatism, which is to say that we like certain ideas and the government should promote those ideas. And then there's the other wing of conservatism, which I generally associate myself with, which says that no, government's there to provide you know equality before the law. It's there to protect your individual liberties. It's there to uh, protect your property rights. But other than that, you should be free to kind of Live your life the way you want, provided you're not infringing on the liberties of someone else. Pretty much the entire left-wing movement falls into various camps on which particular interest group is going to get more support or more attention from the government. And then you've got some people on the left that view um, capitalism from the perspective of, yeah, okay, we don't really like it, or maybe we like it okay, but we only like it insofar as it can produce tax revenue that we can then use on government programs. And then you've got the other side of the left, which absolutely despises uh, capitalism but specifically on on the way we look at civil liberties. I I don't think you have any significant political movement or well-organized group within the United States that doesn't believe in providing basic protections in the law with respect to you being able to live your life the way you want. Like I certainly don't have an issue um, on a personal level with somebody deciding that they wanna make certain life decisions or they have certain preferences or they identify a certain way. If, if they wanna do that, provided they're not infringing on the liberties of somebody else, I think that should be their business. Now, does this mean I don't have an opinion on their decision? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Of course I have an opinion on the decision. The distinction I make is when somebody asks me a question as an elected representative, when they say, well, how do you feel about this? Or how do you feel about X? I always go back to like, are you asking me how I feel about this or what I think about this or what my preferences is preferences are? Or are you asking me what I think the government's response or potential intervention should be, because those are two very, very different things. And I do believe that there are some areas where the government has an obligation to intervene. Like, for instance, preventing or protecting us from a foreign invader, protecting us from um, you know d- domestic, you know gangs or, or criminal organizations which would defraud, hurt, or murder people. Right. I think those are appropriate government interventions. On a lot of other areas, it's not that I don't wish that people would make a particular decision or believe a certain thing or live a particular way. I'm just very skeptical of the government coming in and imposing it. Well, what we've been seeing lately from, again, kind of the the woke wing of leftist progressive um, political theory is not simply the idea that the government should provide um, equal protection before the law, but the government should actually like tip the scales on behalf of certain groups of certain people that the left identifies as being marginalized. Now, one of the biggest problems that we have on the conservative side of this is when they talk about marginalization, they don't seem to be very specific, right? Now, obviously we know that they believe certain minority populations or people within the LGBTQ community or women in general, they all feel like they fall within greater marginalized communities. And then they have what they call intersectional theory, which is to say that you know, a woman in American society may be um, oppressed because of the patriarchy or male dominance, but a black woman is oppressed even more because of both their race and their woman. That's the whole intersectional concept, right? It's this idea that there are various levels within oppressed groups, and the more of those groups that you belong to, right, the, the more likely you are to be oppressed or to be a uh, to be a victim of oppression, whether it's current or in the past or etc. And what we've seen with... Woke lately on on the concept of transgenderism. I think this is the part where you're starting to see some cracks within the typical alliance that we've seen on the left, and that crack is coming from certain elements within the feminist movement and certain elements within the transgender movement. And we really saw this come to a head with respect to you know this you know this individual uh, Leah Thomas, who was ranked I think in like the three hundreds. Um, within male swimmers, well, and then dis, then came out and, and identified as a woman and started to compete in the NCAA tournament, uh, tournaments as a woman. And he went from being ranked, I think, in the, again, I think in the 300s to being ranked number one in the country, like almost overnight, as a result of this transition. And there was a lot of people that brought up that, you know what, hey, look, nothing against somebody wanting to identify the way they want, I may agree with it, I may not agree with it, but I I certainly don't think the government should come in and, you know, reward someone or punish someone because of how they want to identify. But by the same token, there were certain advancements and certain, you know, um, concepts that were, were advanced during like the first wave of feminism, you could argue the second wave of feminism that was based around this idea that women need to have greater access to things like sports. Um, and the scholarships that go along with them and things like that. And that's why you had things like Title X signed into law during the Nixon administration and others, where it was okay, there's going to be certain funds allocated for women's sports, and women are going to be able to compete exclusively as women within these sports. They're not going to have to compete with men. Um, and that gives them a, a venue to compete both um, you know, within the college space, uh, professionally, with things like the WNBA or women's soccer leagues. And it also allows them to compete for scholarships that are specifically for women. And now all of a sudden, you have men that are identifying as women and now competing and winning in these competitions. And the reason why I think this is interesting is because I sat down with a a young student not too long ago, very, very intelligent young woman, and she was very concerned about this whole concept from the perspective of why would we exclude what she called trans women from competing in women's sports if after all they're women. And we got into this debate about well, what constitutes A woman, like how do you define it? And what we're seeing more and more within the the, the woke establishment is they can't define it or they refuse to define it. Because the moment they define it, now all of a sudden there's an objective standard which can be used against reality to determine whether or not something makes sense or not, or whether or not something is fair, or whether or not something is just. You actually saw this in an interview that Matt Walsh did on Dr. Phil with, with, I believe it was two uh, trans women. And Walsh brought up some interesting points. It's like, look, you're, you're you know, you're declaring your own pronouns. Can I declare my own adjectives? Right? You're you're saying that you're a woman. Okay, great, define womanhood. And the person said, Well, I don't want to define womanhood. It's like, well, wait a second. You claim to be a woman. What do you mean when you say that? And the conversation that I had with this um, student was, well, she said, Well, well, gender is a social construct. I said, Okay, I, I don't. I don't necessarily disagree with gender being a social construct, as long as we can both agree that gender has always been tied to biological sex." And she had some issues with that. I said, well, then I don't know what we're debating. Because, Because gender is a relatively new term where we've essentially used to describe what is generally considered feminine or masculine traits. So we all know that there are men that more closely associate with certain feminine traits. We all know that there are women that more closely associate with certain masculine traits. And throughout all of history, we've understood that, okay, this is a man that associates with more female traits. This is a woman that associates with more male traits. We might have called the girl like a tomboy. But now all of a sudden, you're insisting that if someone associates with certain characteristics that are generally associated with one biological sex or the other, that therefore they become that sex, and that's the part we disagree with. That's the part when we look at something like sports and we say, well, no, there's a distinction there. And as we were having this conversation, I said, well, okay, well, why don't we let 20-year-olds compete against four-year-olds? And the statement I heard back was, because age is not a social construct. I agree. Neither is biology. Biology is not a social construct. And see, that's the problem when all of a sudden we look at these woke definitions or lack of definitions where it says that because I identify a particular way, I therefore want to be treated as if biologically or as if reality has adjusted to conform to my way of thinking about something. Now again, none of this is to say that you as an individual, as a free person, shouldn't have the freedom to identify the way that you want. The question is, is at what point are you permitted or are you going to use government or are you going to use these organizations in order to compel other people to say that you are as well. And this is where we've seen the issues with people like J.K. Rowling. You know, the, the writer for the Harry Potter series. Because she has basically insisted that no, to be a woman has certain objective biological standards. And I'm not going to pretend it doesn't. Because there's people that want to identify differently. All of a sudden she's getting canceled by certain Hollywood elites. That have gotten completely into the whole woke idea. Now she's a bigot. You saw the same thing with the swimming competition where where you had other swimmers that said, look, I've worked my entire life for this. And then all of a sudden, somebody claims to be a woman can now compete in my field, destroys everybody in the field. And we're all just supposed to pretend like there's nothing wrong with this. In fact, that person's brave and courageous and heroic for stepping up and, and going into this environment. And what's amazing is when this was all starting, I remember conservatives saying, look, you're going to have a problem with this because while there may be some people that genuinely believe that, there's going to be other people that see this as an opportunity. And and you have the ability for something like this to be potentially manipulated. And that is why there should be some distinctions between, again, what we as a society are willing to say you are free to do versus what the government or these other organizations are going to come in and compel other people to agree with. And what I don't understand about this larger, again, woke argument with all of this, especially on this particular category, is that what we're really talking about here is a strong psychological commitment or belief that your biological reality does not comport with your psychological reality, and therefore you want to claim to be a different biological reality, or you want to claim a a title or a description which has always been associated with a particular biological reality. And the moment we say, well, wait a second, that doesn't make sense. Like, Well, it's all just a social construct. No, biology is not a social construct. Right? You could argue that certain feminine traits or certain masculine traits might fall within the realm of social constructs. But even then, they're social constructs based off of observable reality. Or at least a lot of them are. Maybe not all of them, but a lot of them are. And so this idea that you can simply say, oh, well, because it's a social construct, we are free to rearrange it however we want, and you better go along with it, or else you're a bad person. That's the part where I think you're starting to see people in the center, and even on the center left, coming forward and going, wait a second. There's something, we we are now at a point where we are ignoring certain realities that are going to have negative effects. And if we're not allowed to actually talk about those negative effects, because if we do, Twitter's going to ban us, or the university's going to kick us out, or we're somehow going to experience some, some sort of retribution, well, then two can play at that game, and that's where it gets dangerous. Because I've had a lot of people say, well, listen, Twitter isn't obligated to, to give you a hook. You know what? You're absolutely right. They're not. They're not obligated to do that. But I do find it interesting that Twitter will ban the Babylon Bee or they will ban some of these Switters because they said something mean, or in their opinion, mean. But the Kremlin, which last time I checked, is the government of Russia, which just invaded a country, is bombing civilian populations. They're still allowed to tweet. This is the part Again, and and I've I've talked about this before, there's four categories, right? You have left, right, reasonable, unreasonable, reasonable, unreasonable. This is the part where reasonable people on both sides of the political spectrum are looking at that going, that doesn't make sense to me. How is it that this is okay and this is not. How is it that this is acceptable speech over here, as long as it fits within our little categories of wokeism? But the moment there's any sort of challenge to it, we're going to shut that down, and then we're going to call that compassionate. While at the same time, we're sitting over here arguing for freedom of speech and freedom of expression. One of the most, one of the things I really committed myself to, before I ran for public office because I knew it was gonna get me in trouble, not just with the left, I knew it was gonna get me in trouble with some people on the right. But one of the things I committed myself to was this concept, this idea, that the government is supposed to stay within a particular role. And even if I like the proposition, that doesn't mean the government should come in and impose it. And so I stuck to that within the government realm. What we're seeing right now within the cultural realm is that when the government is bound by the Constitution and it can't do the things that, quite frankly, a lot of the people on the woke left want, and if you don't believe that the woke left would actually be all for not only banning your Second Amendment rights or or eliminating them, but actually going after a significant portion of your First Amendment rights, if you don't think they would do that, you're not paying attention to what the polling is showing about what woke left college students are saying right now. How how we're, we're looking at significant percentages of the population within our university system that believes that there should be more regulation on quote, hate speech. Who defines hate speech? Well, they will, of course. It never seems to cross their mind that somebody else might be defining hate speech in a way they don't approve of. And insofar as they can't get laws in order to completely erode our first amendment because they're not there yet, because thank God we have a written constitution. There is ever more leaning on corporate America, on Hollywood, on the arts and entertainment, on the education system, To push a particular narrative where they essentially say that if you don't fall in line with something that just became trendy five minutes ago, then you're a bad person and you're going to be punished socially and professionally for it, even if they can't punish you legally for it. And the whole argument is, is how do they get away with this? And the thing I would tell you is because we let them. some people on the conservative side will say, well, that's why we need to boycott. That's why we need to completely get off all of, you know, Twitter, Facebook. That's why we need to completely, you know, cancel our Netflix accounts. I'm not saying that there might be appropriate times to do those things or to engage in boycotts. But I will say this, if the conservative response or, or if just the reasonable response, like, because quite frankly, one of the guys saying some of the most reasonable stuff right now is Bill Maher. I guarantee you, Bill Maher and I don't have a lot in common with respect to things like Second Amendment rights or with respect to economic policy, but my gosh, we do have similar beliefs when it comes to protecting free speech. We do have something in common when it comes to actually engaging in logical thought patterns and respecting the laws of logic and and not suggesting that the laws of logic are somehow white. When in reality, it's just reality. So... The conservative approach can't be to simply withdraw, it has to be to engage and it also has to be to lock into that entrepreneurial spirit and actually provide alternatives. Because right now one of the most frustrating things to watch is that not only is the government pushing for more government intervention into our lives, more thought policing, Not only is corporate America doing this, not only is academia doing this, but then you see it with things within the press, which all of us have recognized that's been there for a long time, but this whole fact-checking idea. This whole idea that the left is now dominating these fact-checker organizations to where it's like both sides gonna agree that there's a lot of misinformation out there, but now one side is dominating the process for determining whether or not something has been properly fact-checked. And that's where you get into situations where Facebook will shut somebody down because oh we fact check this. Who did you fact check it with? CNN. Oh, the New York Times. Oh well, golly, I'm sure that was objective. So there has to be an alternative. There can't just be there can't just be the pulling away. It's like if you're going to go away from something, what are you going toward? What are you providing as a response to that? Because if it's just your silence, if it's just non-participation, well, don't be surprised when you lose. You're going to lose the culture first, and then you're going to lose the political battle and everything else that goes with it. It's one of the reasons why I, I saw one of the funniest commercials I have seen in a long time. And if you want to watch the commercial, you go to ihateharrys.com. And this is by Jeremy Boring, who, who uh, runs the Daily Wire. That's Ben Shapiro, Michael Knowles, uh, Andrew Clavin, all those guys. And he set up Jeremy's razors, right? So shaving razors. Why did he do it? Well, because Harry's decided to cancel all their ads with the Daily Wire over some of these issues with respect to, again, a man competing in a woman's competition. And Harry was went out there and, oh my gosh, this is horrible and this is a misalignment of values. And you you know what Jeremy Boring said? You're right. This is a misalignment of values. And Jeremy's saying that, you know what, I'm willing to bet, I'm willing to bet that there's enough people out there, there's enough consumers out there that are tired of this garbage that are willing to say that, you know what, I might like my razor from Harry's, but I don't like it so much that I'm willing to constantly have my own values assaulted, that I'm willing to constantly be maligned and slandered by a corporate organization that is, quite frankly, just pandering, just pandering to whatever they consider to be popular at the time. And if that company is willing to engage in that, right? And not all companies do, some companies stay out of it. But if that company wants to engage in that, if that's the attitude they wanna take, fine, I will take my business elsewhere. I'm not gonna stop buying razors, I'm gonna buy them from a company that doesn't go out of its way to offend me or to treat me like I'm a bigot while at the same time telling me I should buy their products. And so he set up Jeremy's Razors. And so now there's going to be an alternative within the marketplace. And this may sound really, really simple, but it's important because unfortunately I think we're getting more and more to a realm where because politics has invaded just about everything, and, and the right bears some responsibility for this, but I will say this, on the left, when you view politics as the primary way to solve all your problems, then there doesn't end up being any portion of society that politics cannot invade and have some sort of influence on or some sort of like demand upon. And if you're going to create a society like that, well then what's going to happen is it's going to start fracturing. Because I don't, every time I turn on a show about history, or every time I go to buy a razor, or every time we go to the grocery store, I don't want to be inundated with your particular political ideology. And if you're going to do that, then yes, I'm going to find alternatives. Now, if you want to have some neutral spaces in society where we all agree that the reason why I go to that pizza joint is not because I love their political perspective, but because they make a good pie. Well, then there's going to be more areas within society where people of differing viewpoints can have something that they share, something that they have in common because it's not constantly being infused with with high-profile political debates. So I I see a lot of people on the left getting frustrated by this this bifurcation of society and this extremism within society. What do you think creates that? Did you honestly believe that you could take a whole series of, of... deeply personal issues, and then put the decision-making hands, or put the decision-making power in the hands of a bunch of politicians that would then punish or reward people based off of how they good, how good they were at repeating the political narrative, you didn't think there would be consequences to that? And now finally, we have people, again, I, I don't think it's just a left-right paradigm anymore. I think it's a reasonable, unreasonable paradigm where reasonable people are saying, look, It doesn't make me a bigot because I don't think a guy should compete in a women's swimming competition. It doesn't make me a bigot to point out obvious biological differences between men and women. It certainly doesn't make me a bigot when I'm willing to say, look, live how you want. I'm not going to stop you. I'm certainly not going to have the government come in and punish you for making a decision that I wouldn't make. But you also don't get to come around and use the government to try to punish me. And if you as a company are gonna to try to punish me, I'm gonna find alternatives and thank God there's people out there, there's entrepreneurs out there that are saying, all right, look, if this is the new world, then this we can play too. Because quite frankly, I have a lot of faith in the entrepreneurial spirit. And I don't want all of these products to be to be you know drawn down political ideological lines. But it's getting to the point where it's going to be hard to make any sort of, it's going to be hard to get to a point where we can actually have that when the left is so insistent on the government addressing every concern they have. You know, it is possible, as radical as this sounds, it is possible to solve problems and overcome challenges through peaceful cooperation without relying on coercion. It's also possible to leave other people the hell alone. If you can't convince them, you don't gotta coerce them. How novel. So I'm I'm quite frankly, I'm welcoming two things right now. I'm welcoming the inclusion of reasonable people across this political spectrum that says that look, we don't always agree, but we're not gonna put up with this kind of censorship. We're not gonna put up with this sort of like just, you know, really it's this bigotry directed at anybody that doesn't happen to agree on any given day. We're not going to allow the the argument to degrade into, if you don't agree with me, you're automatically a bad person. And I'm also thankful for the fact that there's more and more opportunities, there's more and more entrepreneurs out there that are providing alternatives to the different corporate structures that have dominated the marketplace, whether that be the marketplace for education, whether that be the marketplace for the media, whether it be the marketplace for goods and services. I'm thankful for entrepreneurs are coming up and stepping up and realizing that, you know what? I can, I can produce just as good a product and I can stay out of all these fights. Or if they really want to double down, fine, I'll go to all the people in the marketplace that you're alienating and I'll make sure that they can still get the goods and services that they need. And what's going to be interesting is watch, watch. When this starts to happen, when you start to see some of these big companies that are actually having their, their empires challenged, watch how quickly they go to the same government in order to try to get protections. But in the meantime, we have to remember something. If there's one thing you take away from this podcast, it would be this. If your response to kind of like this woke intrusion in every aspect of your life is to simply retreat into yourself or to your small friend group, you're asking to lose. It's not good enough to just simply retreat, you have to actually provide alternatives. And when you have people out there that are providing those alternatives, give their products a try, give them a test. Because that's gonna encourage more people to get into this space and reject this idea that politics has to invade every single aspect of our lives. Because ultimately, if we do actually want a society where we can get together and we can agree to work together when we agree and we can leave each other alone when we don't, when we can still enjoy our kids' You know, soccer game, regardless of what our political beliefs are, because they're not being constantly infused and pushed on us in every aspect of our life. If you really want that sort of society, then you can't have politics dominating everything. All right. Thank you for joining us. Leave us some comments. Let us know what you thought. We'll be back next time. with. Uh, we've got some new changes coming up to the podcast. You're going to start seeing this in April. I'm actually really excited about this. We're going to have more of a, a conversational forum. I really think you're going to dig it. We'll give you some more details as we get closer to April. Once again, I'm Nick Freitas Making the Argument, and thank you for joining us.